welcome to D20 Dudes, the tabletop role-playing podcast, where the die decides our topic. Today, we're going to be talking about Starfinder, more specifically the core rulebook and the things that are within that. Starfinder is relatively new as a tabletop role-playing game. Uh, it's only been out for a uh, year and a half, two years, but Paizo, uh, who published it, created and published it, are also the creators of Pathfinder. Already got a lot going on. They kind of went all in on Starfinder when it first released. So it's already got tons and tons and tons of supplementary material, um, which is good. It's not a bad system at all. Um, it functions on a lot of the same rules that uh, Pathfinder does. It's essentially Pathfinder in space. Um, that's really the takeaway from it. It is some pretty safe, pretty familiar Pathfinder core mechanics uh, modified for a space setting and it has its own lore its own history and such um, the basic gist is it's several thousand years in the future of the world of Galarian that Pathfinder takes place in um, there it has been a massive event known as the gap where one day everybody just woke up and the past Several hundred years are a total mystery. People woke up with total amnesia of their lives up to that point, and they had to just start fresh. Um, and any records, any data uh, from the period that the gap took place in are all just missing. No one knows what happened. Uh, but the big thing is that the planet of Galarian itself is gone. And occupying its orbit is a massive space station called Absalom Station. No one knows how it got there. No one knows where the planet of Galarian is. It's a huge mystery. And there's tons of shenanigans going on in space because of this. Um, so to get into it, into the core rulebook. Um, first, you've got your uh, character creation. Which goes, for the most part, like creating a Pathfinder character does. Uh, you've got, what is this here, uh, seven core races. You've got androids, humans, um, Kasatha uh, are uh, four-armed humanoids, uh, live on a planet ship. Uh, Lashantas are kind of space elves, even though elves do exist in Starfinder, of course. Um, but they're very pretty, um, sem slightly telepathic humanoids. They're all considered to be incredibly physically attractive. Sheerans are bug people um, who want nothing more than to help. They are just as bro as a Sheeran can ever be. Vesk are military lizard men, and Isoki are uh, rat people, rat folk. Um, then you've got your classes to choose from. Uh, Envoy, kind of like Bard. Uh, they're kind of the party face. Uh, they buff all of their friends. Um, and kind of like do all the fast talking mechanics are pretty self-explanatory their main thing is that they get an ai that they can either have uh, be a personal ai somewhere on their system or placed into a uh, a robot that is a, a little buddy almost like a druid pet um mystics are offensive defensive and support casters all at once um you basically just kind of pick and choose the kind of spells you want to have and the mystics are more traditional magic um, whereas you've also got technomancers which are more you know tech focused magic they 
actually, I believe at some point they were described as literally casting spells by hacking the universe's code, which is a little over the top for me, but eh, it's their game. Operatives are rogue-like people. They can either be sneaky and get up close, or they can be snipers. Uh, Solarians are the closest analog to a paladin. Um, they're very cool on concept because they have a little piece of starlight that is either armor for them or a weapon for them, but they're unfortunately underwhelming in terms of their damage and such. Um, soldiers, you're a basic fighter. You fight good, you shoot good, you punch good, you slice good. Soldiers are hard to take down. And then you've got archetypes. Um, now, everyone has a class, but there are several archetypes within the game, um, tons within the core rulebook, um, and then tons in other games, or other supplementary materials, sorry. Um, and an archetype, it doesn't affect your character as much as your class will. You do gain some benefits from your archetype as you level up your character, but they're not huge. They, they're not game-breaking or game-changing, really. They, they're kind of there to flesh out the idea of what you wanted your character to be. A soldier is a soldier, but the archetype you pick can kind of change what your soldier really is. For instance, you could be a soldier and have the idol archetype, and you're kind of um, like maybe... A, a virtual gladiatorial streamer like you're a guy who uh, goes into a big old arena you put on some you know stun laser equipment and you run around you know shooting each other and you're kind of like a real cool dude that everybody watches your streams because you're an idle soldier you really get fighting and you do it for the crowd or you could be a mercenary soldier who's gonna have all the same stats skills weapons and abilities available to him but is going to be more focused on, you know, I'll kill whatever I need for a paycheck. Um, so using the archetypes, you can kind of give your character a little bit more substance into uh, what your plan for the character's personality and background was meant to be. Um, really good for role-playing stuff. Most of your skills from Pathfinder are present in Starfinder, a lot of them have been condensed down, like, uh, you know, um, use magic device and, uh, oh geez, what's the name of this skill? Arcana, I think. Um, most magic skills have just been condensed down into the one magic skill, mysticism. Um, um, there's also the piloting skill, which you use for land and air vehicles and space vehicles. So there's not separate piloting skills. Like most things that kind of had uh, overlapping purposes within the skill itself or kind of had redundant purposes within the skill got condensed down to be much, um, much more compact so that you have one skill that encompasses a wide variety of things you can do rather than a ton of small skills that are specialized. And you've got your feats, which are all very, you know, specific to your character and class, like what you want to do with them. Uh, and then you would get into your, you know, buying your equipment stuff. A big thing that's different in character creation between Starfinder and Pathfinder is that in Pathfinder, and in fact in D&D, &D, you would either take an average, 
on what your hit points were supposed to be every level. Like, um, I think the average um, hit points for a barbarian was eight. You could either just take eight every level, or their hit die is a d12. So you could roll that die, and whatever you rolled would be how many hit points you got. So you could have you have the opportunity to get more than the average, but you also could get less than the average, just depending on how lucky your rolls were. Um, you don't do that in Starfinder. In Starfinder, you actually have two health stats. You've got hit points and stamina. And your stamina takes damage first. Um, but your stamina and your hit points are both determined by your race and your class. And you will gain a set number of stamina points and hit points per level based on your class. No ifs, ands, or buts. There's no rolling. It's just a set growth. Um, and that's the biggest change. Um, skills are mostly the same, um, I think, with a few exceptions in that, like, if you have overlapping skills, you can just kind of pick whatever you want. So if you build your character correctly, you can basically have a jack-of-all-trades in just about every character because they just allow you to, they just allow you to, um, to keep getting more and more skills of your choosing. Um, feats are about the same, you know, they're new ones more geared towards the space aesthetic, um, things that allow you to shoot better, things that allow you to take cover better, um, but they work the same way. You just have to have the prerequisites, you get feats every so many levels, and uh, that's really all there is to it. Um, the money in Starfinder is much simplified. Um, in D&D and in Pathfinder, you've got kind of the classic system where you've got the copper coins, and then so many copper coins equals a silver coin, so many silver coins equals a gold, so many gold, a platinum, so on and so forth, with all the special gems and other things and other kinds of currencies that places may have. Within Starfinder, you have credits. It is a digital currency. It does not exist physically. There are credit, like almost like USB sticks that have access to an account that says this is how many credits the stick has on it and can be used. Um, you can go to like ATMs and pull your credits out, put them into like secret secured accounts and things like that. Um, if you're getting like big payoffs in terms of credits and stuff, then most likely you'll get like either a stick that has a ton of credits on it that you would then divide into everyone's accounts, or if it's something that you're trying to, you know, avoid being traced back too far, you would have a large amount of credits on a large amount of credit sticks um, to kind of disperse them evenly. Um, and the credit is a backed currency in Starfinder. There is an item called a Universal Polymer Base in the Starfinder setting. It's commonly known as a UPB. And UPBs are all you need for crafting. You can take these UPBs and you basically use them with certain chemical or electrical signals with your equipment stuff to 3D print materials you need and parts you need to build anything from a small mirror to a gun to an entire starship. If you've got enough UPBs, you can build literally anything out of them. One UPB is the worth of one credit. So if a UPB suddenly becomes way more valuable, credits suddenly become way more valuable, which is something that I've seen a few people use to great effect in their Starfinder campaigns. I had one guy who um, 
was running a session in Absalom Station where for whatever reason the drift, like their subspace travel or warp travel or whatever you would call it, stopped working and materials became scarce because as the UPBs got used up to use the thing to do the things that they needed them to do, there weren't a whole lot of them and credits became incredibly valuable to the point where like if you had ten credits you had a lot of money. And they kind of had to play off of that a whole bunch. It was a really, really fun thing to watch. That was at a uh, a local game here in town. Um, and you use those credits to buy equipment. Equipment in this game is not just limited by the amount of credits that you have. That was kind of the way that Starfinder, or I'm sorry, that Pathfinder, D&D, um, like... All, all those kind of like classical like fantasy tabletop MMOs would do it like the the way you would block their progression and match their and like kind of gauge where they were as characters is by their worth in gold so if this character's total gold value was like um a hundred thousand then you could take like a thirty thousand gold item and toss it their way because that would be level appropriate because that would be like a third of their total wealth just in this one item. Starfinder doesn't really do that. Starfinder actually has weapon and item levels. So if a character is level 3 and there's a really cool item they want to get their hands on but this item is level 5, it's to be played out that even if they have the credits for it Maybe they don't have the renown, or there's a special license that has to be given for this item, something like that, but this item is out of their reach for whatever reason, even though they have enough credits to purchase it, and in that way, they're not going to have an item that is too high level for them, and cause them to become overpowered just because they've overgeared themselves. Also something I enjoy, um, I think that's a good system, there's a ton of interesting items to be had in Starfinder because you've got your normal weapons and armor uh, you being in space and in the future of course you've got you know a lot of options in terms of guns from like handheld firearms to big rifles to super big heavy machine guns of every type from ballistic projectiles to things that shoot lasers to things that shoot balls of plasma to like flamethrowers, cryo weapons, sonic weapons, weapons that shoot splintered bones that regrow every time they're fired, uh, all kinds of melee weapons from swords, bludgeons, plasma swords, lightsabers, basically things that have edges that are so sharp that they're sharpened down to the molecular level. Um, things like weapons that have uh, miniaturized contained black holes for the edges that they used to cut through things. Like they, they actually got really imaginative with the way they uh, describe their weapons and stuff. There are certain things that like I think there's even like a faction that grows all of their weapons from trees, so all the weapons are alive, and they get their ammunition back by being exposed to sunlight and photosynthesizing. So um, there's very, very cool concepts. Like, in fact, whenever Starfinder first came out, I have never been so excited to run a game in my life, just because within this core rulebook, they actually include like the setting, whereas in like D and D Pathfinder. Um, you know, like mutants and masterminds, things like that. You kind of have to get into supplementary material to find out what the setting is. 
Um, you have to, you know, buy separate books and read through them because there's whole books just dedicated to what the setting's supposed to be. And the core rule book just teaches you the core rules and really nothing else. Starfinder actually includes what the setting is in the core rule book, you know, from a timeline of events that's happened since the gap to um, what the the core worlds of the pack system that you start that is kind of the setting of the game are to the things that kind of lie beyond to like what the subspace dimension is the kind of gods that you can worship the factions that you may encounter the different kinds of threats that you may encounter they include a ton of detail for that in the final chapter so that's also something totally rad i'm gonna, I'm gonna be using that phrase a lot starfinder is rad there are definitely things wrong with it. It is not a perfect system by any means. Um, and we're going to get into that with combat. Combat occurs exactly the way it does in Pathfinder. You roll your initiative, you, you know, you roll d20, add your initiative score, whoever has the highest initiative goes first, second highest goes second, so on and so forth. Um, attack rolls, you know, you take either your uh, melee attack bonus or your ranged attack bonus, roll a d20, add that, and you. the big difference that comes here is while there was an armor class in Pathfinder, that, because of course this is a future, there are two different kinds of armor class in Starfinder. You have kinetic armor class against you know solid projectiles like bullets, uh, somebody whacking you with a baseball bat, things of that nature. You've got energy armor class as well, which tends to be lower than kinetic armor class, but um, protects against um, laser weaponry, plasma weaponry, sonic-based weaponry. Anything that wouldn't cause a physical impact would go against your energy armor class as opposed to your kinetic armor class. And this just also plays into... Jeez, um, um, what in the world is it called? Your um, combat maneuver bonus. There were all kinds of like things that you could do to change your combat maneuver bonuses to do like these things like tripping up enemies or causing them to drop weapons or um, you know knocking enemies prone things like that your combat maneuver bonus in Starfinder is just a flat whatever your kinetic armor class is plus eight that is your I'm sorry that's not your combat maneuver bonus that is your um, combat maneuver defense your CMD and that is what your CMD is period Kinetic armor class plus eight. Um, I don't remember what the combat maneuver bonus is right off the top of my head, but I do have the rule book right here in front of me. I can find that. Alright, so there is no combat maneuver bonus in Starfinder. Um, it's just a basic melee attack, whatever your melee attack bonus would be, against their kinetic armor class plus eight. So in that way, you don't have to have all these separate calculations for your combat maneuver bonus and what your combat maneuver defense would be. It's just you're making an attack against their KAC plus 8. Um, injury and dying, um, all affected basically the same way. You know, zero hit points, you're knocked out, you go into the negatives, you're losing health, you know, lose too much health, you die. Um, it's a lot easier to heal in Starfinder than it is in Pathfinder a lot of the time, because potions could be rather expensive in Pathfinder. In Starfinder, you know, these injections that heal people with, like, nanobots and such, they're just everywhere. You see them on every street corner. Everyone can pick up heals, and you'll just be on your way. Um, there's a lot more to take into effect with um, 
things like your environment in Starfinder, however, like some things that you may come in contact with are, you know, you're too close to the surface of a sun and things are scorchingly hot. So you have to deal with those insane kind of temperatures and what they can do if exposed for too long. Radiation's a big threat. There are weapons that attack explicitly with radiation and radiation sickness is a thing. Um, and of course, being exposed to the vacuum of space because that is also a possibility. So there's a, a few new and interesting things um, wherein you can, you know, be exposed to um, new kinds of environments that have very detrimental effects. Um, like, of course, you know, you maybe are too close to an airlock that gets hit whenever you're in a space battle, and now you're exposed to the vacuum of space, and you've only got, you know, so many rounds plus your constitution modifier to try and find a way back, or you're going to start boiling from the inside due to the pressure, or lack thereof, rather. Um, and then we get into my biggest pet peeve of Starfinder, and that is the Starship Combat. Starship Combat was incredibly disappointing because it's just slow and awkward and really just not fun. Um, so I tend to avoid it at all costs. The whole thing, Starship Combat, is meant to take place on a hexagonal grid, um, which they're a little more uncommon than a square grid. You know, I actually think hexagons make a better grid system than squares just because you have the diagonals that you can move in a lot more easily. But squares are kind of the mainstay. That's what you're going to have an easier time finding if you're going to try and look for a playmat or something. They are... It's a fun kind of way to look at it. Um, to to look down at your ship from like a tactical view. Unfortunately, first and foremost, starships are the most insanely time-consuming thing to get in the game. Like It's assumed that every player group has a starship, but... You don't spend your in-game credits to buy starships. Your characters are just kind of meant to have them and just kind of have them be upgraded steadily along the group as you level up, either through the kindness of your benefactor or gaining ranks through whatever organization that you're working for. Gosh, is it tedious. Um, you have to have... Like, you get so many build points that you can build with... Um, based on your your group's average level. Um, but only so many of those build points can be spent on buying a reactor, and the reactor determines how much power your ship has, which determines how many other things you can buy, how many other systems you can put in your ship, um, what kind of weapons you can use. You, you have, of course, hulls and ships of different sizes and classes, so it's just kind of this whole thing. It's honestly like a million times more complicated to build a starship than it is to build a player character. And you'll use the player character a lot more. So honestly, unless it's just your kind of cup of tea to kind of filter through these things, find out what the best combinations are, skipping building a starship is kind of like what everyone does. There are a few generators online that will take your average character level um, and your factions that you're working for and stuff and will generate ships for you. 
Those are an amazing resource to look up. They save you a ton of time. They're amazingly better. Just They're just a good thing. Starship Combat is unfortunately slow, tedious, and boring. First and foremost, again, it's on a hexagon grid. Um, and initiative, the way it works, is whoever is piloting your ship will make a... Um, will make a pilot check and whoever has the highest initiative goes last because in this situation whenever a ship moves first everyone else gets to see where they're going and then can maneuver around to suit themselves better um, and then every other action happens at the same time during the turn so if you go from your movement phase to your engineering phase, if there's three ships on the field, all three of these ships have to figure out what engineering actions they're going to take, make their roles, usually either piloting checks or engineering checks, and they all have to do that at the t same time, determine the results. You've got shields in four different directions that need to be healed. You've got systems that need to be fixed up. And then you move on to the next thing, which might be guns. So then everyone who's on a gun, they all pick targets and fire at the exact same time. So you have all these massive amounts of actions that have to be resolved in sequence. And whenever you finally get through it and every ship takes a little bit of damage, that may have been 10 to 15 minutes of work per starship. And then you go back to the top of the turn order roll initiative again for every single turn and then do all of these steps again and it takes just an excessively long time it's very hard to make it exciting because everything is being repaired at constant rates um, everybody's maneuvering themselves in better positions because certain weapons can only fire in certain firing arcs so because of this it's very difficult to make ship combat exciting because you really can't throw any wrenches in the system you really can't give somebody a um anything exciting like you, you can't have like a trap that springs or you can't have a certain spell that has an interesting effect that will cause the battlefield to change in any way everything's just a constant and it takes a long time so it's very unfortunately boring uh, that's my biggest pet peeve. The second thing about Starfinder, I will say, that is uh, a massive flaw, in my opinion at least, is it does seem to be he very heavily weighted towards the players. Um, I found it very difficult, even with monsters that were appropriately challenging, or even with monsters and NPCs and enemies that were uh, several levels and ratings higher than my opponents. Um, they they just kind of seem to blow through it without really a whole lot of difficulty. So... Um, definitely kind of meter out, like, you're going to have to figure out what is a challenging mechanic, not just what a challenging opponent might be, but what can change the battlefield maybe in your enemy's favor a little bit if you really want to make a challenging encounter. Um, something I had to do in one of my games, first and foremost, I will say, I did have an oversized group. I think we had like six to seven players at one point, which is too many players. Um, something I had to do in order to make the fight even remotely challenging a lot of the times 
is have enemies that were able to fight from excessively long distance. Like snipers, gosh, they're going to be your best friend if you just want to deal some damage and knock their stamina out of the way. Um, just kind of actually give them a cause to be a little bit more afraid. Because a lot of time that stamina and the fact that you can regenerate it so quickly, they're going to just kind of charge in. They're just guns blazing. They're not really going to think about cover. They're not going to think about doing things a strategic way because of stamina and the way it works is just going to allow them to run in and brute force most encounters that are just straight up combat. Um, so you may have to do things like, you know, you're going to have to take out these enemies that are incredibly heavily armored in so many turns, or the walls are going to close in on you, or you're going to have to do this fight in a room that's got a moving laser grid. Uh, and if you don't get out of the laser grid in time, you know, you've got a ton of damage you're going to take because these lasers are just going to cut right through you. It, uh, it does require you to be rather inventive to get challenging to your players in Starfinder. Now, being inventive is not a bad thing. I do think it's good to push for interesting combat encounters like this, but sometimes you're just doing a standard dungeon crawl. You just need something that's at the back of this abandoned science building, and you don't necessarily want to have to come up with an interesting and fun mechanic for every single encounter. You want just a couple enemies that might be a little challenging for your opponents, and that's where the difficulty is going to come in. You're not going to find something of an appropriate challenge rating that's going to be too terribly difficult because especially with a larger player group, their action economy is just going to allow them to use their stamina as a big old bulwark and they're just going to power through most things because they don't have to worry about taking any actual damage. They spend a resolve point, they sit down for 10 minutes, they've got all their stamina back, which is basically like healing on the fly. So that that's a little frustrating. Um, but that is, for the most part, um, Starfinder. Um, I can go more in-depth on these various different things in the future, of course. Um, there's a lot of depth to Starfinder. There, like, there's tons of different like factions and organizations, different we weapon manufacturing groups that make different kinds of weapons. Uh, something I didn't go into was like augmentations your characters can get. That's something you don't have in Pathfinder that you do have in Starfinder that, you know, you can get cybernetics, you can get uh, biological augmentations, so, like you can get an arm that has a hidden compartment in it that you can hold a weapon in, or you can get uh, like a, a biological augmentation where you put like a little um, gland in your throat that allows you to breathe fire like a dragon. Um, or there's even um, augmentations that are called necrografts, where people will take... Uh, necromantically reanimated organs and skin that have been modified in certain ways to um, serve as implants, but they're powered by the magic of undeath. I, I really think where Starfinder shines is in its storytelling. Starfinder as a setting is absolutely fascinating. The amount of love that they put into describing each one of the planets that your characters can go to... Uh, the different starship manufacturers, the different factions on these different planets that you can go to, and the kind of motivations that they have, the reasons for doing what they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all incredibly fascinating. It's an insanely good read. Like, I would read novels in this setting. I have been tempted to write novels in this setting because it's just so well planned out, so well said, and, and so well imagined that it wouldn't be hard to come up with um, not just a D&D &D adventure, not just, I'm sorry, not just a tabletop adventure, but just like a story that you can tell 
it's just incredible how much love they put into the setting of Starfinder. You can really tell they had some of their best and brightest on this. And that's where it really shines. Um, and they've got books already out just for telling the stories. Um, there's a Pact Worlds book out that just tells you about all the different core worlds of the Pact system that kind of serves as the main setting for the game. Um, it tells about all the different races that inhabit these planets because it's not Star Wars. It's not just a single race that just happens, you know, here's one planet that is just a desert and is just inhabited by desert people, you know. You may go to Akaton. Uh, it, that's kind of like a Mars analog in Starfinder. But it's not just a barren red rock. You know, it used to be a massive mining planet because it had a wealth of the fuel that starships used to run on before drift engines were created. But now that that fuel is worthless with the advent of drift engines, you know, a lot of the wealth has gone down the drain. And uh, some of these noble families who used to own these big businesses have turned to dealing drugs to maintain their lifestyles. And uh, it's just a shady, slummy, backworld area where, like, a lot of Isoki make their living there by, you know, stealing from people, you know, scrapping starships. It's lots of small but interesting details like that that form a cohesive whole story for every single part of the game. I'm going to give it full points for story. Mechanics, I'm going to give maybe a 6 out of 10. It's a great system. I do think it's a lot of fun, and it's not a difficult system to learn at all. It does take a lot of the things from Pathfinder, from D&D 3.5, that everybody loves and kind of simplifies them, um, but not oversimplifies them, where like D&D 4th edition was... Like, every class was the same class. Uh, it, it really kind of makes them easier to wrap your head around without dumbing them down. Um, but that's all I really have to say on it for now. Um, I'm going to have some episodes planned for the future where we'll go more in-depth uh, on certain aspects of Starfinder where we might talk about the combat and how it works more in depth. We might talk about magic and how it works more in depth. We're definitely going to talk more about the books uh, because there's already two adventure paths out for Starfinder. Uh, the Dead Sons, which I've played, and uh, through the Aeon Throne, which I have not played yet, but I'm interested in picking up. Um, and they each tell very, very interesting stories. But for now, we're going to roll uh, the Sacred D20. We're going to find out what we're going to be talking about next week. Number 17, Villainous Campaigns. What it is like to be the bad guys. Not something I've done a whole lot. I have done it before, but, um, well, truth be told, I didn't do it for a villainous campaign. I just wrote a villain that I played in a campaign. But the idea of playing a campaign and being the bad guys is a very interesting one, and I'm uh, very excited to talk about it. Uh, and hopefully, Paul will be able to join me for next week's episode. Uh, his schedule should be freeing up a lot more, and uh, he should hopefully have a lot more time to spend, you know, working on his hobbies, um, doing the things that he enjoys doing, instead of just having to grind and grind and grind like he has been lately and having to miss things that he enjoys doing because, you know, Paul is trying to better his life. He's, he's a good boy. Paul's a good boy. But, you know, that can be taxing. 
and Paul is getting a well-deserved break. So look forward to hearing more out of him in the future. Uh, we have a Twitter, at D20Dudes on Twitter. We have a Facebook, D20Dudes on Facebook. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we love you so much because you are our best and brightest fans. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye-bye! Um, that'll take it away.